because we will say it out loud. Why are we studying the book of Timothy before conference? Because of the Bible quiz, exactly. Now, I believe we already have our representatives. Who are they for the Bible quiz? Yeah, I believe, and Cassandra. Woo! Give a round of applause. So, um, Ikria and Cassandra are going to be representing Virginia when we go to conference for the annual Bible quiz. The Bible quiz, you know, I think it's a big deal. It gives you, as a branch, bragging rights when you come back home. It lets people know, you know, what's up? Who's, who's, who's the champ, right? So this year, Ikea and Cassandra are going to represent us. And in order to help them prepare for it, we're going to study the book of 1 Timothy, which is what the quiz is going to be on. But for the rest of you guys who may not even be participating in conference, and for those of you who are going to conference, this is a really, really good opportunity for you guys to just gain biblical knowledge, right? Just an understanding of some of the books in the Bible. I know a lot of times when we as teachers come up here and we preach, we kind of give you some sort of general truth or general like thing that we want you to take away from it and apply it to your lives. And then we have like a scripture to support it. And occasionally we'll do studies on particular books in the Bible. Um, but I feel like a lot of us don't have like good general knowledge in terms of like the content in the Bible, right? Not everything in here is meant for you to just take and apply to your life. Some of it is more just context, right? Giving you an understanding of who God is, who Jesus is, giving you stories and narratives about the people who lived and walked this earth with Jesus or with God, with the Holy Spirit, and how they did it. So it just helps you to understand that even now when you look at your life and you look at certain struggles or the way your life is going, that a lot of times it's not too different than people who existed and walked with Christ over 2,000 years ago. So that's kind of what I want you guys to try to absorb today, even though this book may not be something that you might be able to relate to or something that you think is relevant to your life, but it's always important as a believer to stay prayed up and making sure that you're reading the word of God, because you never know when somebody will have something to say about a specific book in the Bible or a specific character in the Bible, and what does it look like as a believer when we have nothing to say? When we're like, oh, I don't really know who Timothy is, or I've heard of Timothy, like I know there's a book in the Bible, but I don't really know his story, right? So that's what today is designed to do, is to help you guys just make sure you understand what is going on here in the book of Timothy. So can everybody with a Bible or with a phone turn to the book of 1 Timothy? It is after 2 Thessalonians, and I believe... It is before 2 Timothy. So let's turn to 1 Timothy. And today we're just going to be studying the first two chapters. So the initial greetings from Paul and then the instructions about worship. So chapters 1 and chapter 2. And if I could just have two bold people, one girl, one boy, volunteer to read the first chapter and then uh, someone to read the second chapter. Do I have any volunteers? Thank you, Ikea. And fellas, do I have a volunteer who might read the second chapter? Anybody? Anybody? Don't all jump at once. 
Should we have our new Yale graduate read the second book? Thank you very much, Dion. Okay, so if you can, just read the first chapter and then pass the mic to Dion when you're done. And I want you guys to know that I just have a few questions that I'll be asking about this book, mainly to help prep our girls, but I want you guys to follow along in the word so that when I ask these questions, you guys will know the answers. So don't just let these people read and ignore them. Listen very closely and follow along. Go ahead. Um, First Timothy chapter one. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the command of God, our savior and of Christ Jesus, our hope, to Timothy, my true son in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. As I urged you when I went to Macedonia, stay there in Ephesus so that you may command certain people not to teach false doctrines any longer or to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies. Such things promote controversial speculations rather than advancing God's work, which is by faith. The goal of this command is love, which comes from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Some have departed from these and have turned to meaningless talk. They want to, yeah, they want to be teachers of the law, but they do not know what they are talking about or what they so confidently affirm. We know that the law is good if one uses it properly. We also know that the law is not made for the righteous, but for lawbreakers and rebels, the ungodly and sinful, the unholy and irreligious, those for those who kill their fathers and mothers, for murderers, for the sexual immoral sexually immoral, for those practicing homosexuality, for slave traders and liars and perjurers, and for whatever else is contrary to the sound doctrine that conforms to the gospel concerning the glory of the blessed God, which he entrusted to me. I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who has given me strength, that he considered me trustworthy, appointing me to his service. Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ, came in, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. For that very reason, I was shown mercy, so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Now to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Timothy, my son, I am giving you this command in keeping with the prophecies once made about you, so that by recalling them you might fight the, you may fight the battle well. Holding on to faith and a good conscience, which some have shipwrecked, which some have rejected, and so have suffered shipwreck with regard to the faith. Among them are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan to be taught not to bless me. Amen. Thank you. Yes. And while you pass that over to Dion, we'll do a brief little recap here of First Timothy chapter one. Now I will invite. Um, Bishop or Uncle Albert, people who have a lot more experience and have studied the historical context of these books to jump in or chime in whenever there's anything to add. But just a little bit of context about this book and in this chapter. Um, we know that Paul in the New Testament um, is a champion for Christ. He's a champion for the word. He's a champion for this faith. 
and he was converted over to Christianity after he encountered the Holy Spirit. Um, and this is after he had persecuted and prosecuted Christians way before he was converted. So now he's really, really, really on this mission to spread the gospel. And he travels a lot throughout this area where uh, Christ walked. And this is roughly, Bishop, you may have to correct me, roughly 17 to 20 years after the resurrection. Okay, so this is a little bit after Christ has died. But he's continuing to build churches. He's trying to uh, get, garner more support for people to join the faith. And in the process, he meets Timothy. Uh, and I think he's so impressed with Timothy's passion and devotion for the things of God that he kind of recruits Timothy to be um, somebody that he would mentor. And as I understand it, he sends Timothy out to sort of speak to these churches. And here in this particular text, while Paul is out in Macedonia, he hears and he realizes that there's a group of false teachers, there's a group of men, there's people who have uh, sort of gathered at this really, really prominent church in Ephesus, and they are spreading false teachings. Like they're not really teaching the true gospel. They're not sticking to the doctrine of Christ. And obviously that's very, very concerning because this is a church that has a lot of prominence and influence in the region. And Paul, being a champion of the faith, goes out and he writes a letter to Timothy. And he sends Timothy over to that church because he wants to call these people out on their false teachings. So that's what you see here in the scripture. It's just kind of his opening to Timothy, telling him about what's going on in this church and what needs to happen. So Dion is going to take us into chapter 2. And um, again, guys, follow closely because these questions will come up. And um, Paul is going to be very specific about what's going on and then what Timothy needs to do for that. First Timothy chapter 2. I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all of those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Savior, who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all people. This has now been witnessed to, to at the proper time. And for this purpose, I was appointed a herald and an apostle. I am telling the truth, I am not lying, and a true and faithful teacher of the Gentiles. Therefore, I want the men everywhere to pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or, dis or disputing. I also want the women to dress modestly, with decency and propriety, adorning themselves, not with elaborate ha hairstyles or gold or pearls or expensive clothes, but with good deeds appropriate for women who profess to worship God. A woman should learn in quietness and full submission. I do not permit a woman to teach or to assume authority over a man. She must be quiet. For Adam and Eve was first formed, then Eve. And Adam was not the one deceived. It was the woman who was deceived and became a sinner. But women will be saved through childbearing. If they continue in faith, love, and holiness with propriety. Amen. 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 Amen
Amen. Thank you so much. Isn't it really ironic here that towards the end of this passage, Paul is instructing Timothy that women should not come to church like looking all fancy schmancy, adorning themselves with fancy jewelry, doing their hair, doing their makeup, and they should be quiet. They should be quiet. They shouldn't be standing in front of the pulpit teaching men. They shouldn't be doing anything that I'm doing right now. That's, that's, what, that's what a lot of believers take from this passage. They take from this scripture. And I call those people salad bar Christians. Because you know when you go to like a buffet, there's a nice salad bar, there's a million different options and toppings. You know, these are just kind of the believers that just kind of, they bypass certain scripture, they bypass context, and they just kind of pick and choose what they want to apply, and they run with it, right? So, oh, Bishop has a question. Dion, would you mind? Oh, I'm sorry. Go oh, no, I, I wanted to, did you want to add something? Thank there? you. Can we, can we get the mic to, to Bishop? Oh, please. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Is it not that irony that here, almost talking about modesty and decency, right? That dressing to catch unnecessary attention. But the irony of this then is that Paul mentioned Timothy's mother, grandmother. We never heard of the father. And, and here, <laughs> it's interesting. So when Paul is talking about it's not that Paul is saying when he goes to a place, like you go to Muslim place, you speak like a Muslim. So you come to Presbyterian Church and speak like Presbyterian. You go to Baptist, speak like the Baptist. So at that point, because I don't know how you go to praise the grandmother, the mother, and they say don't speak. But this is a family training that Timothy get. So if the mother and the grandma was not teaching. How come Timothy God always? So please, when you read this chapter two, just the decency and the modesty, as we are all here. You know, sometimes you dress and look at yourself in the mirror and say, mm, this one, you know, my wife. <laughs> or it depends on where you're going. But when you're coming to church, come on, you are beautiful. I love the dress. Not that, but the modesty and decency. And, and you know it. When you dress, ladies, right? When you dress and you go to party, sometimes you don't want your mother to see or your father to see. <laughs> you just go to your friend's house and change. And you change before you come home. And that is what he's talking. So don't say, when you hear people say, why is women preaching? No, this is not. Winnie's is here, Lois is here, and, and I don't know where the father is. Unfortunately, today's the father's day. <laughs> All right, go ahead. Thank you, Bishop. God bless you. Um, Bishop hit on incredibly sharp nail that we will get at here as we follow through the passage. But I just want to back up a little bit from uh, chapter two. Um, this is where Paul is very direct with Timothy about what needs to happen. He sort of characterizes this church as being filled with um, men who kind of dispute amongst each other about theology. They kind of get into it a little bit. And he instructs Timothy to go and ask these people to pray, right? To simply pray. And then as you go further down in the passage is when he starts talking about the whole modesty thing. And an important thing to understand context-wise is this is a church that's that's got some issues in it. It's got some problems in it. 
And I, you know, to Paul is not just like talking about women in an objective sense, and like Bishop said, that we just need to be quiet and that we don't need to, to, to do this, right? That's, that's not exactly what he's saying. He's speaking in context to a particular church that has some problematic women in there, right? I'm talking about the kind of people who are so self-absorbed, they come to church and all they care about is what they look like and as a result, what another person looks like. And so it's like you're judging somebody, right, instead of based on who they are, on how they look, right? These are women that are loud and obnoxious. They're probably involved with some of these false teachings and they've become extremely problematic. And to make matters worse, they live in a culture where women, not like today, but in a culture and in a time and in a society where women are instructed to, to be a little bit more, you know, calm, to be a little bit more quiet, to let the man lead, to, to live in a space where there's order in their life and in their family. And that is supposed to also reflect in the church. And so Paul is in Macedonia and he hears about these women and it is just, it's a no-no. So he goes and he tells Timothy what he needs to instruct to these specific women. And Bishop is absolutely right. Paul really, really gives admiration to Timothy's mom and to his grandmother, appreciating the fact that these are the women that helped to foster Timothy's growth and help him sort of become the man that he is that Paul is so impressed by, right? So, so the first two chapters really just deal with the opening, the greeting, right? Paul making it very clear who he is, where he's at, and, and that he's getting ready to sort of admonish this church and give Timothy specific instructions on how he needs to go back to these people and what he needs to tell them, right? And in the subsequent chapters, as we go through these next couple of weeks, you guys will hear that sort of play out a little bit more. But those are really the main points that I got out of this. Kind of just bringing it full circle to today and what I want you guys to be able to really take from this passage and what I want you to understand is that, you know, Paul is doing God's work. Timothy is doing God's work. They are doing the best that they can. They are building churches. They're evangelizing. They're traveling. They're helping the Christian religion spread in this time, right? And think about, think about how much easier it was at that time to really, really believe and understand like what happened to Jesus Christ, being that his resurrection was only say 17, 18, or even 20 years ago. It wasn't that long ago, right? Like if, if I were to tell you about 9-11, you would probably believe me, right? Because some of the people who witnessed 9-11 are present today and they can give you their real life account of what happened, right? So these are people who are a part of this church and they're with, you know, teachers and they're with mentors and they're with pastors who are able to testify to the stories that they've heard and the people who are even there who witnessed the resurrection or who, you know, who was a part of that during the time it happened, right? This is all so much more real to them. They're able to connect with this so much more than we are, 
right? But but notice one thing really, really important here. The Bible says that, like, as, as Paul is out here doing his work, he gets word about a church that's kind of not doing so well, a church that's struggling theologically, right? A church where there's people who've now taken the word, who've taken the gospel, and they've kind of twisted it, and they're running with it, and they're spreading this false doctrine. And Paul is really, really concerned about that, right? But, but notice something here, like when Paul hears about this, right, Paul doesn't get upset, right? Paul doesn't get frustrated. Paul doesn't curse this church. Paul doesn't even curse the members of this church, right? Because Paul lives and operates in the optimum state of how Christ asked us to live and walk, he approaches this entire issue from a place of love. Right? And he goes through the extent of writing to somebody that he's been mentoring, right? And I believe this is a, one of the best displays of Paul's leadership because he shows Timothy, right, that even when you've been a part of something or when you're a part of a church or you're a part of a community, right, and things aren't going perfect, right? Maybe the elders aren't perfect. Maybe you don't agree with the doctrine. Maybe you don't agree with the structure. Maybe there's a lot of things, a lot of problems that you see. Maybe you have something, an issue with somebody there, like an individual problem that you have with somebody, right? This is a demonstration to us as believers that our approach or our response to that shouldn't just be, oh, curse them. Oh, I'm done with Presby. Oh, Presby's this. Oh, Presby's full of this. Or this church is full of that. Or I heard about this church and this pastor and this deacon. And I heard about X, Y, and Z. Like, like that, that was never the approach. And I believe that as you read through passage, even beyond 1 Timothy, and you, you read some of Paul's other letters to the other churches, he's stern. Like, believe me, he's not, he doesn't sugarcoat anything. He's definitely firm, and he's clear and direct about what he believes and what the problems are. But he does it from a place of love, right? And that is what I want us to be able to take from this passage today. During the subsequent weeks, you guys will learn about some of the issues that came along. But you guys are young. You're growing. Some of you are going to go to college. You're going to experience different ministries. You're going to experience different teachers. You're going to hear about different sort of theology, so to speak, right? There are some sections of Christianity that believe in a very literal sense that what I am doing right now and the way that I look will cast me into the lake of fire. There are some people who believe that, right? And then there are other people that are a little bit more progressive like we are, and we're like, no, just kind of like read the room, understand context, read between the lines, and understand what's really going on here, right? And so as you guys walk in your faith and as your development as young believers, you're going to encounter some of those things. You're going to hear some different things. Maybe you'll go on YouTube and you'll hear a teacher or a preacher preach about something. You know, maybe they're a little bit more inclusive about same sex or different things that you know traditionally the Bible does not speak about, right? But I want to encourage you that in as much as Paul approaches this issue that he sees in the church of Ephesus with love, he also makes sure that Timothy understands that when it comes to preaching the true doctrine of Christ, 
it has to be in alignment, right, with the things that Christ taught. It has to remain faithful to Jesus Christ, right? And if you think about that word, what does it mean to be faithful to your spouse? What does it mean to be faithful to your partner? It's honoring that commitment. It's honoring the covenant. It's honoring the vows that you made to that person. And as believers, when we step into the faith and we commit ourselves to Jesus, we commit ourselves to this life and to this lifestyle, we have to honor the words in this book. We have to honor the scripture. We have to keep our faith in Christ by making sure that the things that we do, the things that we say, the way that we act is in alignment to the things here in this book. And when we find ourselves in a position where we are so critical of the body of Christ or we're so critical of the things of God, sometimes we don't even realize it, but that is what indirectly separates us from God, right? Because now it's almost like we are criticizing him. Although it's not direct, it's, it's as if we are criticizing him. So we always have to check ourselves. And that's why I love this passage because it reminds us how we can do it. It doesn't mean you don't have to check anybody. It doesn't mean that you don't have to ask questions or that you don't have to confront anybody. It just means that the way that Paul did it here and he demonstrated it to Timothy is perhaps the approach we should take, right? Do it from a place of love and do it from a place where you genuinely want to see that body or that community, wherever you see kind of falling apart, you want to see it thrive, right? Because no one who constantly complains or who constantly just throws out problems ever comes out with a solution, right? It's the problem solvers, the critical thinkers, the people who look at the issues and say, okay, X, Y, and Z need to happen, right? And we didn't walk those times. We don't know exactly what these women looked like or how they talked or what exactly was going on. We just know that they were a problem. And so instead of beating around the bush, Paul was very direct and he may have offended some women, but Paul was defending the faith. He was sticking, he was, he was, he was being faithful to the word of God, right? Knowing and understanding that this sort of admonition is what would help to bring that church of Ephesus back to a place where they would thrive, where they would be successful. Because ultimately he says that what God wants more than anything else is for us to live in peace. He wants us to be able to get along. And so for the elders who are bickering and going back and forth and spreading all these false teachers, or these false teachings, none of it is pleasing to God. And when we take a position where we are critical without actually offering any solutions, without stepping in and saying, you know what, yeah, the praise and worship team is not that great, but let me step up and let me join the praise and worship team and let me see what I can do to help it out. Or moreover, what Paul first advised Timothy to do was to have them pray, right? How many of us actually go to prayer as our first resort? We complain and complain and complain and complain and complain, but at what point do we invite God, do we invite the Holy Spirit to be a part of the solution, right? And allow him to really work in us to be a movement, right? And to encourage people to act and behave in the same manner so that instead of people constantly spewing hate and negativity, you now have this productive space where everybody is full of solutions, right? 
What would happen if we lived in a church or a community or a nation that thought like that? That instead of having complaints and issues with everything going on in politics, people had solutions. And people sat at the table where they were able to have healthy, peaceful conversations about solutions, right? And don't get me wrong, I understand that sometimes it's important to rock the, the table and it's important to, you know, to get very, very belligerent. I understand that. But the general consensus theme, I believe, of this passage is just making sure that when you see something wrong, you address it, right? You call it out, but you do it from a place of love. Amen? Does that make sense to everybody? Okay, so... Just a few questions that I have, and I'm gonna open the floor to any questions that you have, and then we're gonna wrap it up, okay? So make sure your Bibles are open. You guys might need to dig for it a little bit. By the way, um, Chris announced last week that I am going to be um, one of the quiz masters. So um, apparently I'm going to be asking some of the questions. I have not seen the questions yet. I will obviously not cheat and reveal any of the questions. These are just questions that I came up with myself, and um, they, I, I don't know, they might be on the quiz, but I would encourage the two of you girls who are going to be representing Virginia to make sure that you continue reading up on the word and um, making sure that you are understanding everything. For everybody else, this is just a good thing to have in your pocket as biblical context, right? All right, so the first question that I have is, and these are very easy questions, y'all. If you guys don't get this right, I'm going to feel like everything that I've said for the last 15, 20 minutes fell on dead ears, okay? So number one, who considered Timothy to be a son? Just blurt out. Paul, amen. Who considered Timothy to be a son? Paul, all right? Next question. Who was a young pastor that was mentioned by the Apostle Paul? Say it. Amen. Timothy. All right. He was a young pastor, obviously was mentioned here by Paul. All right. So this one might be a little bit harder. Some versions have this, some do not. But where did Paul first meet Timothy? Where did Paul first meet Timothy? I said it in the beginning one time. Uh, unfortunately, Macedonia is not the answer. Macedonia was where Paul was when he wrote the letter. Okay, Ephesus, unfortunately, is not the answer. Ephesus is where the church was. Ephesus is where the church was that Paul was. It was not in Thessalonians. Um, ladies, I'm going to need you to know this, okay? It's called Lystra. Okay, I said it. I told you to pay attention and you didn't listen. Lystra, okay? I'm going to ask the question again. I want everybody to answer it. Where did Paul first meet Timothy? Wonderful. Okay, but I told you to listen. And y'all was not listening, so I don't want to hear it. All right, guys. 
who was, according to the scripture, and this might just be specific to the um, translation Bible that you have, but who was the chief of sinners? Say that louder. Paul. Paul describes himself as the chief of sinners in this scripture, and he's doing that to sort of establish ethical credibility. He's like, look, I'm not really even the person who is supposed to be doing all this, but if God, if Christ could change me, the chief of sinners, then surely he could do it to everybody. And that's ultimately what the goal was. All right. So I kind of like wove this into what I was talking about and it's in here, all right. What was Paul's motivation for telling Timothy to speak out about false teachers? What was his motivation? Don't overthink it. He wanted to see the church flourish, but, but, but more than anything else, he wanted this to be done from a place of, thank you, all right? So that was his motivation, love. Genuine love for this church, genuine love for God's people was his motivation for wanting Timothy to speak on false teachers. All right, the law was made for which people? It's in the Bible. Um, it's for who? Good job. The law was made for sinners. And the book of 1 Timothy um, even goes into detail about the specific people, the liars, the cheaters, blah, 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 okay? Now this is a little harder. Um, what were the three attributes that Paul listed of God? The three attributes that Paul listed of God. Don't look at me, look at your Bibles. <laughs> uh, yes, but, and see, this is where, this is how, this is how it gets during the Bible quiz, like, they have very specific answers, you know? It's like the SATs, you can't, like, some of the questions might be right, but it's, you know, which is most right. I'm gonna give this to you guys because I know it's a little bit harder, all right? So the three attributes that, that Paul named of God is that he's eternal, he's immortal, and he's invisible. Oh, you said it? Oh, but I, you have to be bold. You have to be bold. Oh, I didn't see your hand was not raised high enough. But our dear sister, Belinda, um, says that she got it. Sorry for not picking that. But those were again. Go ahead. Amen. Amen. Thank you for that. All right, just two more questions. All right, so this instruction was in keeping with the prophecies once made about Timothy. What was the instruction that was in keeping with the prophecies once made by Timothy? I can't hear you. Can you please stand up and say that loud for the people in the back? What was the instruction? Y'all, this is this is the person that's representing us. So do we feel good? Do we feel good about our representative? Okay. All right. Last question, guys, and then we're gonna wrap up. Okay. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. 
is what kind of a saint? Wow, give it up for your representative. Virginia is gonna win this year. Wow, wow. So anyways, guys, I hope you guys got something from that. Can we all rise and pray? Oh, Bishop has, hold on guys, hold on. Bishop has one thing to add. Who has the mic? Hello, who has the mic? Thank you. Can we just give that to Bishop real quick? All the ladies stop preaching at this church now. This same Paul went to Galatians, right? And then he said that it's neither Jew or Gentile, neither slave or free. There are no more male or female, for we are all one in Christ. So, people of God, when you walk around and you hear people, this same Paul was speaking to Philemon and said, Oh, you are a slave, go back and be a slave. So, he was specific to specific situations so when you're reading the bible and somebody comes to you oh in your church women preach i say yes say paul said this and the same paul also said this but back to question okay why is it that paul described himself as if i'm paul apostle of jesus not by human hands i'm called by god as when you read the first timothy one see how he describes himself why do you think he described himself like that? Read it and tell me why he described himself like that. So read the first. Uh, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the command of God, our Savior, and of Christ Jesus, our hope. You know he was kind of boasting here. I, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Why do you think he was doing that? Now, the answer to this is that, you know, Paul was no one of the disciples of Jesus Christ. And so they were thinking themselves as super disciples of Paul, like some guy. Of course, Paul was a, he's the slimmest here, very slim and tall. So he would tell them that, hey, I didn't see Jesus in person, but I'm doing the work. And so the reason why he described himself like that is that I, I'm Paul, I know. I, I met him. Was when we resurrected. So I knew what I was talking about. So when the question is asked, like that, say, because he wasn't part of the disciples of Jesus, who was with Jesus first of all, but he got, when did he got converted? Where? Oh, that's what that is. Good. So that's why he described himself. Amen. Thank, thank you, Bishop, for such a great contribution. Does anybody have any questions or any other contributions? Do you guys feel like you got a good intro to the book of Timothy? Yes? Yes. Okay, so oh, go ahead, Mike. Mike, Bishop, this might be for you. So I've encountered people who have been like, well, I had a dream that God told me about like women not being able to do all these things. And it's like, how do you argue with them? Because it's like, I can't argue with what you, you dream, but like the, you have to take like context into account. So like, how do you talk to those people? Great point. You see, these days they come and say, we have a dream. You have a dream. And I should believe you. You should believe the Bible. When you are so, can we open the Bible? So, you don't know this person is saying that. That person, you have never seen that before. And now you are telling something. You know, Bible said nobody is coming from heaven to tell anything. Believe people that you are with. They read the Bible. 
See, all those Jesus, somebody say, somebody say, somebody say, you have never seen them. You know, so, whenever they say so, say, let's go to the Bible. Paul says, you know, we are discussing Timothy, and Paul was praising the mother and the grandmother. I don't know where our grandmother was. The father was not there. And then when Paul is speaking about specific things, they jump and say, oh, all women, shut up. Why? Why do I made a person in my own image? How many people, male and what? Female. That is what the Bible says. And that he was speaking about the hierarchy, like at home. When you marry, right? Male and female is different. Husband and wife is different. When you marry and you become a husband and a wife, that is where the hierarchy comes. 